Chapter twenty nine of the Scalp Hunters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Scalp Hunters by Thomas Maine Reed. Chapter twenty nine. A Dinner with Two Dishes. El Sol, I have said, was standing over the prostrate Indian. His countenance indicated the blending of two emotions, hate and triumph. His sister at this moment galloped up, and leaping from her horse advanced rapidly forward. Behold, said he, pointing to the Navajo chief, behold the murderer of our mother. The girl uttered a short, sharp exclamation, and drawing a knife, rushed upon the captive. No, Luna, cried El Sol, putting her aside, no. We are not assassins. That is not revenge. He shall not yet die. We will show him alive to the squaws of the Maricopa. They shall dance the Mamanchik over this great chief, this warrior captured without a wound." El Sol uttered these words in a contemptuous tone. The effect was visible on the Navajo. "'Dog of a Coco!' cried he, making an involuntary struggle to free himself. "'Dog of a Coco, leagued with the pale robbers! Dog!' Ha. You remember me, Dacoma. It is well." "'Dog!' again ejaculated the Navajo, interrupting him, and the words hissed through his teeth, while his eyes glared with an expression of the fiercest malignity. "'He-he!' cried Rube, at this moment galloping up. "'He-he! That injun's as savageous as a meat-axe! Lamb him! Warm his collops with the bull-rope! He's warmed my old mire! Nick syrup him!' "'Let us look to your wound, Monsieur Holler said Sanguin, alighting from his horse, and approaching me, as I thought, with an uneasiness of manner. "'How is it? Through the flesh? You are safe enough, if indeed the arrow has not been poisoned. I tear El Sol. Here, quick, my friend, tell me if this point has been dipped.' "'Let us first take it out,' replied the Maricopa, coming up. "'We shall lose no time by that.' The arrow was sticking through my forearm. The barb had pierced through the flesh until about half of the shaft appeared on the opposite side. El Sol caught the feather end in both his hands and snapped it at the lapping. He then took hold of the barb and drew it gently out of the wound. "'Let it bleed,' said he, till I have examined the point. It does not look like a war-shaft, but the Navajos use a very subtle poison. Fortunately I possess the means of detecting it as well as its antidote.' As he said this, he took from his pouch a tuft of raw cotton. With this he rubbed the blood lightly from the blade. He then drew forth a small stone vial, and pouring a few drops of liquid upon the metal, watched the result. I waited with no slight feeling of uneasiness. Seguin, too, appeared anxious, and as I knew that he must have oftentimes witnessed the effect of a poisoned arrow, I did not feel very comfortable seeing him watch the assaying process with so much apparent anxiety. I knew there was danger where he dreaded it. "'Monsieur Haller,' said El Sol at length, "'you are in luck this time. I think I may call it luck, for your antagonist has surely some in his quiver, not quite so harmless as this one.' "'Let me see,' he added, and stepping up to the Navajo, he drew another arrow from the quiver that still remained slung upon the Indian's back. After subjecting the blade to a similar test, he exclaimed, "'I told you so. Look at this. Green as a plantain. He fired two. Where is the other? Comrades, help me to find it. Such a tell-tale as that must not be left behind us." Several of the men leaped from their horses, and searched for the shaft that had been shot first. I pointed out the direction and probable distance as near as I could, and in a few moments it was picked up. 
El Sol took it and poured a few drops of his liquid on the blade. It turned green like the other. "'You may thank your saints, Monsieur Haller,' said the Coco. "'It was not this one made that hole in your arm, else it would have taken all the skill of Dr. Reichter and myself to have saved you. But what's this? Another wound. Ha! He touched you as he made his right point. Let me look at it. I think it is only a scratch. This is a strange climate, Monsieur Haller. I have seen scratches become mortal wounds when not sufficiently valued. Luna, some cotton, sis. I shall endeavor to dress yours so that you need not fear that result. You deserve that much at my hands. But for you, sir, he would have escaped me. But for you, sir, he would have killed me. Well, replied the Coco, with a smile, it is possible you would not have come off so well. Your weapon played you false. It is hardly just to expect a man to parry a lance-point with a clubbed rifle, though it was beautifully done. I do not wonder that you pulled the trigger in the second joust. I intended doing so myself, had the lasso failed me again. But we are in luck both ways. You must sling this arm for a day or two. Luna, that scarf of yours— no, said I, as the girl proceeded to unfashion a beautiful scarf which she wore around her waist. You shall not. I will find something else. Here, mister, if this will do, interposed the young trapper Gary, you are heartily welcome to it. As Gary said this, he pulled a colored handkerchief out of the breast of his hunting shirt and held it forth. You are very kind. Thank you, I replied, although I knew on whose account the kerchief was given. You will be pleased to accept this in return, and I offered him one of my small revolvers, a weapon that, at that time and in that place, was worth its weight in pearls. The mountain man knew this, and very gratefully accepted the proffered gift, but much as he might have prized it, I saw that he was still more gratified with a simple smile that he received from another quarter, and I felt certain that the scarf would soon change owners at any rate. I watched the countenance of El Sol, to see if he had noticed or approved of this little by-play. I could perceive no unusual emotion upon it. He was busy with my wounds, which he dressed in a manner that would have done credit to a member of the R.C.S. "'Now,' said he, when he had finished, "'you will be ready for as much more fighting in a couple of days at the furthest. You have a bad bridle-arm, Monsieur Haller, but the best horse I ever saw. I do not wonder at your refusing to sell him.' Most of the conversation had been carried on in English, and it was spoken by the Coco chief with an accent and emphasis to my ear as good as I had ever heard. He spoke French, too, like a Parisian, and it was in this language that he usually conversed with Seguin. I wondered at all this. The men had remounted, with the intention of returning to the camp. Extreme hunger was now prompting us, and we commenced riding back to partake of the repast so unceremoniously interrupted. At a short distance from the camp we dismounted, and picketing our horses upon the grass, walked forward to search for the stray stakes and ribs we had lately seen in plenty. A new chagrin awaited us. Not a morsel of flesh remained. The coyotes had taken advantage of our absence, and we could see nothing around us but naked bones. The thighs and ribs of the buffaloes had been polished as if scraped with a knife. Even the hideous carcass of the digger had become a shining skeleton." "'Wah!' exclaimed one of the hunters. "'Wolf now or nothing. Here goes!' And the man leveled his rifle. "'Hold!' exclaimed Seguin, seeing in the act. "'Are you mad, sir?' "'I reckon not, Captain,' replied the hunter, doggedly bringing down his piece. "'We must eat, I suppose. I see nothing but them about. And how are we going to get them without shooting?' 
Seguin made no reply, except by pointing to the bow which El Sol was making ready. "'Eh-ho!' added the hunter. "'You're right, Captain. I asks pardon. I had forgot that piece of bone.' The Coco took an arrow from the quiver, and tried the head with the assaying liquid. It proved to be a hunting shaft, and adjusting it to the string he sent it through the body of a white wolf, killing it instantly. He took up the shaft again, and wiping the feather, shot another, and another, until the bodies of five or six of these animals lay stretched upon the ground. "'Kill a coyote when you're about it,' shouted one of the hunters. "'Gentlemen like we are to have leastwise two courses to our dinner.' The men laughed at this rough sally, and El Sol, smiling, again picked up the arrow, and sent it whizzing through the body of one of the coyotes. "'I think that will be enough for one meal, at all events,' said El Sol, recovering the arrow and putting it back into the quiver. "'Aye,' replied the wit. "'If we wants more we can go back to the larder again. It's a kind of meat that eats better fresh, anyhow.' "'Well, it dis, hoss. Wah, I'm in for a griskin of the white. Here goes.' The hunters, laughing at the humour of their comrades, drew their shining knives and set about skinning the wolves. The adroitness with which this operation was performed showed that it was by no means new to them. In a short time the animals were stripped of their hides and quarters, and each man, taking his quarter, commenced roasting it over the fire. "'Fellers, what do you call this anyhow? Beef or mutton?' asked one as they began to eat. "'Wolf mutton, I reckon,' was the reply. "'It's doggone good eatin', I say. Peels off as tender as squirrel. It's summat like goat, ain't it?' "'Mine tastes more like dog to me. It ain't bad at all. Better than poor bull any day.' I'd like it a heap better if I were sure the thing hadn't been up to yarn varmint on the rocks, and the man who said this pointed to the skeleton of the digger. The idea was horrible, and under other circumstances would have acted as a sufficient emetic. Wah! exclaimed a hunter. You've most taken away my stomach. I was a-going to try the coyote before you spoke. I won't now, for I seed them smellin' about him before we rid off. I say, old case, you don't mind it, do you? This was addressed to Rube, who was busy on his rib and made no reply. "'He?' "'Not he,' said another, answering for him. "'Rube's ate a heap o' query titbits in his time. Ain't ye, Rube?' "'Aye, and afore you're as long in the mountains as this child, you'll be glad to get your teeth o'er wuss chans than wolf-meat. See if ye don't, young feller.' "'Man-meat, I reckon?' "'Aye, that's what Rube means.' "'Boys,' said Rube, not heeding the remark and apparently in good humour, now that he was satisfying his appetite. What's the nastiest thing, leaving out man-meat, any of yees iver chawed? Woman-meat, I reckon. E chuckle-headed fool, you needn't be so peart now, showing your smartness when taint called for know-how. Well, leaving out man-meat, as you say, remarked one of the hunters, in answer to Rube's question, a muskrat's the meanest thing I ever set teeth on. I've chawed sage-hair, "'Raw at that,' said a second. "'And I don't want to eat anything that's bitterer.' "'Owl's no great eatin,' added a third. "'I've ate skunk,' continued a fourth, "'and I've ate sweeter meat in my time.' "'Carajo!' exclaimed a Mexican. "'What do you think of monkey? "'I have dined upon that down south many's the time.' "'Well, I guess monkey's but tough chawns, "'but I've sharpened my teeth on dry buffler hide, "'and it wa'n't as tender as it mout have been.' This child, said Rube, after the rest had given in their experience, leaving Monkey to the beside, have ate all them critters as has been named yet. Monkey he ain't, being as there's none of them in these parts. It may be tough or it mayn't, 
and may be bitter and it mayn't, for what I knows to the contrary wise. But onct, on a time, this nigger chawed a varmint that weren't much sweeter if it were as sweet. What was it, Rube? What was it? asked several in a breath, curious to know what the old trapper could have eaten more unpalatable than the viands already named. Twere turkey buzzard, then. That's what it were. Turkey buzzard, echoed everyone. Twant anything else. Why? That was a stinkin' pill, and no mistake. That beats me all hollow. And when did you eat the buzzard, old boy? asked one, suspecting that there might be a story connected with this feat of the earless trapper. Ay, tell us that, Rube, tell us, cried several. Well, commenced Rube, after a moment's silence, twere about six year ago I were set afoot on the Arkansas, by the Rapahoes, leastwise two hundred mile below the big timmer. The cussed skunks took coss, beaver, and all. He <laughs> he, continued the speaker with a chuckle, he <laughs> he, they mounted did as well and let old Rube alone. I reckon that too, remarked a hunter. Tain't like they made much out of that speculation. Well, about the buzzard. You see, I were cleaned out, and left with just a pair of leggings, better than two hundred miles from anywhere. Bents were the nearest, and I took up the river in that direction. I never seed varmint o' all kinds as shy. They wouldn't have been if I'd a had my traps, but there weren't a critter, from the minners in the waters to the bufflers on the Pereira, that didn't look like they knowed how this nigger were fixed. I could get nothing for two days but lizard, and scarce at that. Lizards but poor eatin', remarked one. Ye may say that. This here thigh joint's fat cow to it. It are. And Rube, as he said this, made a fresh attack upon the wolf-mutton. I chawed up the old leggins till I were as naked as chimney rock. Gollies, was it winter? No. T'were calf time, and warm enough for that matter. I didn't mind the want of the buckskin that away but I could eat more o' it. The third day I struck a town o' sand-rats. This nigger's har were longer than it er now. I made snares o' it, and trapped a lot o' the rats, but they grew shy too, cussum, and I had to quit that speculation. This were the third day from the time I'd been set down, and I were getting nasty weak on it. I gin to think that the time were come for this child to go under. T'were a leetle arter sun-up, and I were sittin' on the bank when I seed something queery floating adown the river. When I came closer, I seed it were the carcage of a buffler, calf at that, and a couple of buzzards floppin' about on the thing, pickin' its peepers out. T'were far out, and the water deep, but I'd made up my mind to fetch it ashore. I want long and strippin', I reckon. Here the hunters interrupted Rube's story with a laugh. I took the water and swam out. I could smell the thing afore I were half-way, and when I got near it the birds mizzled. I were soon closed up, and seed at a glimp that the calf were as rotten as punk. "'What a pity!' exclaimed one of the hunters. I went to gwine to have my swim for nothing, so I took the tail in my teeth and swam back for the shore. I hadn't made three strokes till the tail pulled out. I then swum round ahint the carcage, and pushed it afore me till I got it landed high and dry upon a sandbar. "'Twere like to fall to pieces when I pulled it out of the water. "'Twarn't eatable, nohow.' Here Rube took a fresh mouthful of the wolf-mutton, and remained silent until he had masticated it. The men had become interested in the story, and waited with impatience. At length he proceeded. "'I seed the buzzards still flying about, and fresh ones a-comin'. I took a idea that I might get my claws upon some 
So I lay down close up agin the calf and played possum. I went long that away when the birds begun to light on the sandbar, and a big cock came floppin' up to the carcage. Before he could flop up, again I grupped him by the legs. Hurrah! Well done, by gollies! The cussed thing were nearly as stinkin' as the other, but it were die dog, buzzard or calf, so I skinned the buzzard. And ate it? inquired the impatient listener. No, slowly drawled Rube, apparently miffed at being thus interrupted. It ain't me. The laugh that followed this retort restored the old trapper to good humor again. Did you go it raw, Rube? asked one of the hunters. How could he do otherwise? He hadn't a spark of fire and nothing to make one out of. You're an eternal fool, exclaimed Rube, turning savagely on the last speaker. I could make a fire if there weren't a spark anywhere. A yell of laughter followed this speech, and it was some minutes before the trapper recovered his temper sufficiently to resume his narration. The rest of the birds, continued he at length, seeing the old cock rubbed out, grew shy, and kept away on the other side of the river. Twarn't no use trying that dodge over again. Just then I spied a coyote, coming lopin' down the bank, and another followin' upon his heels, and two or three more on the same trail. I knowed it would be no joke gruppin' one of them by the leg, but I made up my mind to try it and I lay down just as afore, close up to the calf. Twere no go. The cunnin' things seed the float-stick, and kept clear of the carcage. I were a-gwine to catch her up some bush that were by, and I begun to carry it up, when all of a sudden I took a fresh idea in my head. I seed there were driftwood, a-plenty, on the bank, so I fetched it up, and built a pen-trap round about the calf. In the twinklin' of a goat's eye I had six varmints in the trap. Hurrah! You were safe then, old hoss. I took a lot of stones, and then clomb up on the pen, and killed the whole kit in em. Lord, boyies, you never see such a snappin' and snarlin' and jumpin' and yaltin' as when I peppered them donicks down on them. Hee-hee-hee! <laughs> and the smoky old sinner chuckled with delight at the remembrance of his adventure. You reached Bent's then, safe enough, I reckon. Yes, I skinned the critters with a sharp stone and made me a sort of shirt and leggins. This nigger had no mind coming in naked to give them their joke at the fort. I packed enough of the wolf-meat to last me up, and I got there in less than a week. Bill were there himself, and he all know Bill Bent. He knowed me. I went in the fort a half an hour, till I were spick-span in new buckskins, with a new rifle, and that rifle were targets, now afore ya. Ha! You got tear-guts there, then? I got targets there, then, and a gun shear. <laughs> Twarn't long arter I got her till I tried her. <laughs> ho ho ho! And the old trapper went off into another fit of chuckling. What are you laughing at now, Rube? Asked one of his comrades. <laughs> what am I laughing at? Ho <laughs> ho! That are the crisp of the joke. <laughs> what am I laughing at? Yes, tell us, man. It are this that I'm laughing at," replied Rube, sobering down a little. I wanted Bent's three days. When who do you think should come to the fort? Who? Maybe the Rappahoes? Them same Injuns. And the very niggers as set me afoot. They come to the fort to trade with Bill, and there I seize both my old mar and rifle. You got them back, then? That were likely. There were a sight of mountainy men there at the time. That weren't the fellers to see this child put down on the parara for nothing. Yander's the critter. And Rube pointed to the old mare. The rifle I gin to Bill, and kept targets instead, seeing she were a better gun. 
So you got square with the Rappahoes? That young feller just rests on what ye call square. Do ye see these hired nicks? Them standin' separate? And the trapper pointed to a row of small notches cut in the stock of his rifle. Aye, aye, cried several men in reply. There's five of em, ain't there? One, two, three. Yes, five. Them's Rappahoes. Rube's story was ended. End of chapter 29